0: It's a new month. The new school year has started, and so as a church, this morning we are going to begin a new sermon series. We're going to take the next seven weeks, at least, to work slowly through one chapter of the Bible, which is Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, This morning, it's just mainly going to be a lot of introduction, so I encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, you can either follow the words on the screen or look it up in your pew Bible on page number 712. We're just going to read the first two verses this morning and get introduced to the setting and the situation that Isaiah 40 is written to. Again, in your pew Bibles, it's on page number 712. Prophet Isaiah writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God each and every Sunday whenever I preach and I'm sitting in my office alone trying to study and research the text I also always picture you and I try to think how do you come to church every Sunday and I don't mean that literally do you walk or drive I mean with what attitude with what expectations do you walk through those doors every week? Now, in an ideal, idealistic maybe, world, each and every one of us would come through those doors anticipating and eager to worship our God. That throughout the week you have been in relationship with God, worshiping him, engaging with him in his word. He has been speaking to you. He has been blessing you. And you just come as a highlight to what's been going on in the week, ready to worship him with God's people and ready to launch yourself into another week of worship and service and praise. I hope, I pray that that describes many of you this morning but I recognize that this is not an ideal world. And there are others of you who are here this morning, if we're honest, quite frankly, out of compulsion or out of habit. You're here because your parents, or your spouse made you come. You had no choice. You come really with no expectations, except the hope that the service doesn't go all that long and that the friend that you want to talk to is here. You can connect with them after the service. And it's good to be here. And I, for you, I hope that there is a word of a song, a part of my message, a, a small part of the text, the text we read, or part of that conversation that takes place with your friend after the service that causes you to say, God was present and it was good to have gone there, whether I wanted to or not. But this morning, especially, I want to remember a third category of people that I really often think about when they come through those doors. And those are you who come to this place with questions, with concerns, fears, worries, burdens, and regrets. And you're hoping that in coming to this place, you can find some answers to those questions, some sanctuary from your fears, some encouragement and relief from your regrets. And again, think about people in each one of those categories and subgroups, if you will. I think about those that come with concerns that are not of their making at all. Especially think of people that have health concerns They've done everything right, as far as they know, but for whatever reasons, they come because their health is not what it is supposed to be. Their bodies are broken, and they are worried about it. They have no control over their futures. They're fearful of the results of the tests that are going to be coming back. They're anxious because of the, the the memories that are starting to slip more and more, and the grasp of reality you recognize isn't quite what it should be. You're anxious. Because there's stuff going on in your life that feel like it is out of your control. So you want to look beyond yourself to a God who does, says he controls all things. Beyond that, I think about those that come with fears. And the many different fears that drive our lives. The the fear of each other. The time we spend in a mirror making sure we look just right and that there's nothing wrong so that when we show up here, no one's going to be like, ooh, what are they wearing? Or why did they do their hair that way? But we would be accepted and loved and welcomed. Think about people that have a fear of our nation. That all week long, the primary voice has been that word, that voice from the radio or social media that's trying to stoke those fears. The worry about the future. That if a political party that you don't like continues to do those terrible things, think about what is going to happen. And that fear drives their audience, but it also starts to ingrain in your heart. And you worry about what's going on and what can I do to stop it. What's going to happen if it keeps going out of control? And then I think about those people who have regrets. The others I've been talking about have been things that they can't really control. It's not in their ability to manipulate or change. But these people, they've been here before. And in being here before, they've heard those challenges and they said, you know what, this week is going to be different I'm not going to do that thing. Lord, change me, shape me. And Now you sit here this morning and you look over this last week and you did it again. You blew it. You engaged in that exact same sin and with that regret, you come with wonder. I wonder how much longer it's going to be until I'm exposed as the fraud that I am. I wonder if God is going to be done with me. Does he even want me to come to his church because he knows the person that I am, the awful things that I have done, and maybe I'm not even welcomed in his presence any longer. Now, I realize we're already fairly long into this message, and I haven't really even started looking at the text, but I spend that introductory time for a couple of important reasons. First of all, In thinking about those who come with questions, concerns, fears, and regrets, I recognize that since we are in a broken world, if you are not someone that is currently in that category, you will be someday. The good times, the times of joy and, and, and good pleasure do not last forever. And so whether you're in the thick of it in this moment, or you will be in the future, there is an important message of God for you in those times of doubts, questions, concerns, and worries. But furthermore, as we begin this new journey through this one chapter of Isaiah, it's important to start with an understanding of the people that Isaiah was writing to in this chapter. And the people that Isaiah was writing to were people who were in the thick of it. They were asking those questions. They were struggling with a lot of the things that I was just talking about. If you've ever read through the book of Isaiah as a total, uh, even with a casual reading, you will recognize that this chapter stands out as something different. Uh, So far in the book, In Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, we have primarily heard a lot of warnings to the people of Israel about the judgment that was going to be coming for them. You see, they too lived in a broken world. And in that broken world, they had blown it. Long ago, God had set them apart through their great ancestor Abraham, and he had called and established a special relationship with them and after their time in egypt and being freed from that he had led them into a land that he had promised to abraham where they could be settled but more importantly where they could be a light to the other nations an example of what a right relationship with god with his creatures were supposed to look like and yet throughout their history They failed over and over again. Instead of modeling for others a right relationship with God, they looked at those other nations and they said, you know, some of those practices seem kind of fun. Some of the things they're doing seems kind of interesting, and so they incorporated the worship of idols into their experiences, and they neglected the worship of God. And when times were good, which they often were, and the people prospered, Well, then they celebrated and they praised themselves for what they had done, for the things that they had earned, and how good things were going. They gave credit to themselves. And then when things were bad, well, instead of looking and clinging to God, they looked to other things. They looked to those idols and the practices of worshiping them more and more and harder and harder, just like the other nations, to try to accomplish a better crop, for example. They clung to government and and tried to establish relationships with other nations to try to make pacts and compacts so that they could be better defended and protected against their enemies or they looked just to the promises of God in the past, assuming that since they were the descendants of Abraham, since they had been circumcised and they go to the temple every once in a while, then, well, God was going to watch out for them. He wouldn't ever allow anything bad to happen to them, no matter what they did in response to him. And with the other prophets, in all of that, Isaiah warned them over and over again that they needed to stop clinging to those worldly things and return to the Lord, or the promised judgments would come true. Well, through Isaiah and through many other prophets, God had warned. The people did not repent, and so the judgments came. And all of those protections and all of the things that the Israelites had trusted in were taken from them. Summarizing a long period of history, when the Babylonians were finally sick and tired of this rebellious nation of Israel that was causing problems to them, they laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, they destroyed its walls, they burned down the temple, they killed and exiled the religious leaders. And now, there was no son of David on the throne, because there was no throne. And so there was no security of government. Now, there was no temple to run to, because the temple was gone. And so the security of the religious activity and practices that they thought was there for them was gone. There were no walls to hide behind because the walls of the city had been broken down, destroyed, and they were exposed and vulnerable to their enemies. And they themselves were taken and relocated from their own land, from that land that God had promised to them and brought and and resettled in new territories throughout the Babylonian empire. And they were put into exile. And so the land was gone as well. And especially since it had been their fault, since they had ignored warning after warning, they were wondering, was there any hope for them in this broken world? Especially when everything that they had trusted it in had been yanked out from under them. And into that situation, they asked this question. had they blown it forever? Was God done with them? Was he going to forget about them and maybe start over with somebody else? And into those questions, Isaiah 40 speaks a whole new world, a whole new word to those people living in that world. And that word is comfort. Such a precious word that it gets repeated for emphasis and for assurance. Comfort. Comfort. Let's think about that word for a moment. Into a world of chaos where it seems like so much is outside of our control and everything that we depend on can immediately and easily be taken from us. Into a world of questions into a world of fear. Like a parent cuddling their frightened child, God says, I'm here. It will be okay, I've got you. You can find peace in my presence. That comfort is found, first of all, in a few words that might be easy to read over in our text, but but you need to see the significance. The text continues, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. A great covenant promise of Abraham was, I will be your God and you will be my people. And despite the fact that those people, the Israelites, had over and over again done almost everything they could to violate that relationship, to rebel against their God, to disobey his commands and decrees, God was always been and always would be faithful. They were still his people. He was still their God. Yes, a lot had happened but God hadn't gone anywhere. In later verses in the text, that theme of God's presence about the fact that he hadn't forgotten them, hadn't neglected them, hadn't abandoned them, is gonna be highlighted in later messages, so we'll develop that more further later. But right away from the beginning, we get a glimpse. You are still my people. But the big reason why the comfort is being declared to these people because their punishment is coming to an end yes just as he had warned the people had been punished and chastised in the exile the people had experienced the consequences of their sin against God and for their rebellion the wars had come and been fought and lost the punishment had been enacted however Like the clouds that start to clear after a huge storm or after the fever breaking from a long illness. The great word of comfort is that there is an end in sight and the end is coming. The sins of the Israelites had been dealt with and they had. Oh, I'm sorry. The sins of the Israelites had to be dealt with and they had been dealt with. And like cleaning out a dirty shed or a garage, all of the clutter had been removed and now it was time for the rebuilding, for the reestablishment, for the starting over. Again, in the next several weeks, we're going to talk and see more of what that rebuilding uh, looks like and the comfort of what is starting over was going to look like and the path back to the Lord. But for now not just for the israelites but for you i want you to also hear that word of comfort this morning now in saying that let me back up into something i struggled with and how to incorporate in this message the entire time but in that transition that i talked about from isaiah chapters 1 through 39 and then in 40 it's pretty clear that there has been a shift in the main audience in Isaiah chapter 1 through 39, you can recognize that Isaiah' is primarily talking to people as a warning, to those who are wandering from God and are about to be in trouble if they don't repent and stop. And so he calls them to come back, and though he threatens them that if they don't, there are going to be consequences. But then in Isaiah chapter 40, we recognize that the audience has expanded into the front of time. And these are people primarily who are living near the end of that period of exile. They have seen those warnings come true. They had seen the wars. They had seen the destruction of Jerusalem. And now they were living with those questions of, well, what comes next? And so they were living at a different time. And that's the people that Isaiah is speaking to. But that raises a huge question for the book of Isaiah, which is, well, how does that work? Because when we look at the beginning of Isaiah, we see the kings under which he ruled, and in Isaiah chapter 6, when the commissioning of Isaiah happens, it happens in the year that King Isaiah died, which we know from history is the year 76, I'm sorry, 740 BC. Well, The fall of Israel doesn't happen, I'm sorry, the fall of Jerusalem, the fall of the temple doesn't happen until 586 B.C., 136 years later. And so it raises the question, well, if Isaiah did not likely live to be over 136 years old, then how do we understand that gap in the audience? And there are two primary theories for dealing with that issue one of the theories is that there are more than one isaiah's if you will that there was that real prophet the son of amos who lived uh, during the time of pre-exile who warned the people and then after he died another prophet or prophets came along and in a very similar voice said something to the people at a different period in history or The other main theory is that, yes, the one man, Isaiah, wrote the entire book, and some of it was written to his contemporaries, those who were about to go into exile, but he also was addressing those people in the future, those people he knew would be living with those questions, with those wonders about what comes next. And so he prophetically is projecting himself into the future and addressing those people. I read far too much, and I'm not going to get into all of the ins and outs of the different arguments, but I tend toward that second idea that there was just one person named Isaiah. But if that is true, then think about what that means. It means that even before the punishments and the consequences for their sins of Israel had been expressed and implemented, God already had a plan that he revealed and he gave to Isaiah saying that this is the purpose for what comes next beyond the consequences Meaning that throughout it all, the lead-up, the consequences, and the restoration, God was in control and God was at work. He knew and explained why these consequences were coming and that they would also come to an end one day as well. And why do I emphasize that, especially for us? Well, two reasons. First, A major reason why I wanted to preach this series and this chapter of Isaiah is to continually remind us that even in the hard times of life, God is still in control. He still has a plan that is good and that we can always trust that he is working that plan out. Now, I will admit that when you hear words like cancer, when you lose someone dearly loved to you, and you grieve that loss. When your child confesses that they no longer believe in God, and they are rejecting all that you laid in terms of the foundation of faith, of faith the idea that God is still present and in, in control can be hard to hear. What is God up to in disease, in death, or in rebellion? But as much as we ask those questions, I want you to cling to that comfort that God has never abandoned you. He has not forgotten you and the promises that he made to you in the baptismal font still stands. I am your God, you are my precious child and I will never abandon you, I will never fail you, I will never forget you. That's a promise for those that are in the midst of things right now. And for those that know will face trials in the future, God is faithful. He will never leave or abandon you in the midst of struggles. He has a plan that he is working out. The other reason why I emphasize the fact that Isaiah was writing these things before they even happened is to the point to the bigger picture and the bigger plan that Isaiah also alluded to but we have had the opportunity to experience. You see, it does make a big difference about when and where you live in history and how you hear these words. And as much as it had to do with the great promise that God was going to one day restore the nation of Israel, rebuild the temple and reestablish this community, the bigger purpose and the plan of God's comfort was going to be in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. As the text suggests, God just can't overlook sin. It has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. The Israelites learned this when, of all all of the things that they had been putting their trust in were removed from them and destroyed. The consequences of sin for them were awful. But as much as they endured, it didn't fix the problem of sin. But today... We can see how the ultimate promises of this text were fulfilled in christ our sins also have to be dealt with we too must be forgiven and pardoned but instead of it coming through our own paying the penalty and consequences of our sin we recognize that the son of god came to this earth And that he bore the wrath of God's sin on himself when he went to that cross and he paid the penalty of our sins for us. We are not pardoned because of our experiences or hardships. We are pardoned by the blood of Jesus. And as we will continue to see throughout this series, God's plan from the beginning was to restore all people to him through the blood of Christ Christ came to this earth. He died on that cross, offering up the greatest sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. And that is where we can find our comfort. In a world that can feel chaotic and out of control, when we are consumed with our fears and worries, when we are tempted to cling to possessions or earthly relationships in order to find some comfort, is the first question and answer that we read earlier this morning from the Heidelberg Catechism says, my only comfort in life and in death is this, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. I'm not going to repeat the whole entire thing, but I will preach boldly the point in this broken world we will have struggles and trials some out of our control and many of our own doing but comfort can be found and that comfort is found by surrendering yourself to the God that is in control of all things the God that is faithful and the God that loved you so much that he pardoned your sin with his precious blood of discomfort that you are looking for today or that you will need in the future, put your trust in the Lord God. I look forward to how we will continue to explore these themes in the rest of this chapter, but with that challenge, let's bow our heads in the presence of God. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do live in a world where we are constantly asking questions. And oftentimes, as soon as we feel like we are secure and that we've got a control over our lives, things change, and new questions arise, and new wonders plague our mind. Lord, I want to pray for all of those who are asking those questions this morning, for the worries, the fears, the regrets that they bring to this place. Reveal yourself to them. Remind them of your love that is unfailing and ever present, that they might be welcomed back into your arms. And Lord, I also pray that instead of clinging or running to our possessions, to our power, to our strength and our abilities, that we would run to you with all of our worries and doubts, knowing that because of what Jesus did for us, you are there to welcome us, to love us, and to comfort us. May your plan be a plan of comfort to us. May your promise of salvation and security be a comfort in this broken world, and may it be what drives us to worship you and live for you in all that we do and say. This we pray in the name of Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. Amen.